We have finished now our series in the book of Amos, which was about the lion's roar. And we, God is pictured as a lion in Amos, roaring. And a lion that is roaring is one that's about to uh, attack. And God was preparing to attack his own people, Israel, for their sinful ways, for how they failed to love him and failed to love one another. And so it was uh, a lot of fun to preach through uh, Amos, a minor prophet. I don't know if it's fun for y'all to listen to, but I enjoy preaching it. And so since we had so much fun going to the book of Amos, I figured we'd stick with one more minor prophet. Um, and so this Sunday, we're going to begin a series through the book of Hosea, the book of Hosea. So if you would turn there to the book of Hosea, the title of this series is Learning to love again, learning to love again. We have a lot of territory to cover this morning, so I want us to jump right into the Word, and we'll get right into the text. We're going to cover three chapters this morning. Hosea chapter 1, and we'll go through chapter 3. Chapter 3 is only five verses that helps you feel any better. Hosea chapter 1. I'm going to read the entirety of chapter 1 and chapter 3. If you would, let's stand for the reading of God's holy word. Hosea chapter 1, um, which follows the book of Daniel, if you're having any trouble finding it. Hosea chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beery. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblin, and she conceived and bore him a son. The Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name, No Mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. And when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. 
And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall port for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. Turn over to chapter 3. Chapter 3. Hosea chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man. And is an adulteress, even as the Lord loved the children of Israel, though they turned to other gods and loved cakes of raisins. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join me in this unconventional love story. Learning to love again, an unconventional love story. Since we have so much territory to cover this morning, I want to jump right into our text. This text opens with showing us first the rejected love of God. In verses 1 Chapter 1, verse 2, through chapter 2, verse 1, we see the rejected love of God by God's own people. Look at, first of all, in this rejected love of God, look first at the picture of rejected love. God tells Hosea, his prophet, to marry a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. The question that must be asked immediately is why would God tell his own chosen prophet to marry a woman that's promiscuous and guilty of the vilest sexual immorality? That's in the text. Look at the last clause of verse 2. God says, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Hosea's marriage was to be a picture of the ruptured relationship between God and his people. Israel, which was the northern kingdom, had forsaken the Lord by worshiping idols. Specifically, they were worshiping the idol god, Baal, which was the Canaanite storm and fertility god. Their hope in worshiping Baal was for, for Baal to bless them with rain for agricultural prosperity and fertility for human reproduction. Look what happens. Israel's, Israel turned from complete trust and dependence on Yahweh to meet all of their needs and, then, and, and instead turn to false gods. And God wants Hosea to show his people that you 
are an adulterous people. He wants Israel to see that you have left your first love. And church, we must remember that a covenant is an exclusive commitment. And the covenant stipulated exclusive loyalty through worshiping Yahweh alone. God wants them to know you have prostituted yourselves by worshiping other gods and seeking blessings in return. You are a prostitute, Israel, because you go to another man to provide for your needs, and you have given him your love, and so in return, you expect payment. Beloved, we too can be guilty of spiritual adultery every time we seek someone or something else to meet our physical, spiritual, and emotional needs. Every time we put our trust in someone or something else when we're supposed to trust God for that thing which we seek, we commit spiritual adultery. When we turn to people for fulfillment and satisfaction rather than turning to Christ, we commit spiritual adultery. When we turn, uh, uh, when we turn, one of the greatest sins in the church now is the sin of pornography. And, and every time we turn to that for fulfillment and satisfaction, we commit spiritual adultery. And today, God wants to confront us through this picture of rejected love that every time we seek fulfillment and satisfaction outside of him, we are playing the whore. We see the picture. Let me show you now the product. Chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. The purpose of marriage was for the security of the woman, but also for procreation. To this strange union, to, 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 to the words, what, what God shows them is let me show you what this kind of marriage produces. Let me show you the fruit of this strange marital union. Here's the product. First, they have a child. The name of this first child is Jezreel, which means God sows. And God specifically tells Hosea to name him Jezreel because God was about to punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And he says, I'm also going to put an end to the kingdom of Israel. So this child, every time they looked at this child, they will remember that God's punishment and destruction is coming on the monarchy of Israel. The second product of this Union was a daughter who was to be called No Mercy. The significance of this name is that God is telling the children of Israel that he will no longer have mercy or compassion on them. He will no longer forgive their sins. And beloved, the Lord wants us to know that there is a limit to his long suffering. His spirit will not always strive with you. Someone here today, God's word to you is, you may be at your limit. The third product, born to Hosea and Gomer, was a child that was to be named, not my people. God tells 
Hosea, I want you to name this child, not my people, for, for you are not my people and I am not your God. Friends, this is a complete reversal of the covenant. When God made a covenant with Israel, the, way, the covenant language was something like this. He would say, Israel, you will be my people and I will be your God. And God says, now, because of your adultery, this is no longer the case. Because you have breached the covenant. The covenant is essentially null and void. What are we to learn from this, the birth and the naming of these children? I believe that God, by way of Hosea, wants us to learn that sin always has consequences. Friends, sin always produces judgment. Because of their spiritual adultery, Israel would cease to be a kingdom. That's child number one. They would no longer receive mercy or compassion from God. That's child number two. And they were no longer his people. That's child number three. Their adultery and whoredom severed the relationship between them and Yahweh. I think God wants us to know, friends, that sin always produces death and devastation. Friends, God is holy and cannot allow sin to go unpunished. And because God is holy, he expects his people to be holy. Let me say this. We, between Amos and Hosea already, we've had a lot of sin, sin, sin. And Brandon, we're supposed to be a gospel-centered church. Exactly. You cannot appreciate the gospel, the good news, without understanding the bad news. And, and maybe the reason we don't appreciate and celebrate and share the gospel more is because we, we've forgotten how far the Lord has brought us and the depth that he's gone to save us. And so when, as I preach here on sin, I want you to see how much God hates sin, and I want us to hate sin the way God hates sin. In this rejected love, we see the picture. We see the product. But Hosea does something here that as soon as he brings judgment, he immediately contrasts it with hope. And so look, finally, at the promise here. Chapter 10, I mean, chapter 1, verse 10, after pronouncing final judgment, God immediately announces his eternal promises. God, being a God of hope, always leaves his people with hope. And future hope is bound up in his covenant. We see this in, in the language that is used in verse 10, where he says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. When we read this, this immediately ought to take us back to the Abrahamic covenant. In the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 22, verse 17, here's what God says. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand, there it is, that is on the seashore. And both the pronouncement of judgment through the naming of the children and this promise of future restoration, God remains true to himself. How so? He judges sin because he's holy, but he remains faithful to his covenant promises. Not only 
Will, the, will they multiply as a people? But God says in this promise, I will also restore you to relationship with me. And you will be called children of the living God. Dexter, I just want you to know that you were not discreet just then. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us all. God promises here as he gives his people hope. He says there will be a reunification of the divided monarchy. They will be one nation under one leader. And beloved, this section teaches us that sin cannot eradicate God's love for us. I, I expect a more amen to that, so let me say it again. This section teaches us that sin cannot eradicate God's love for us. Church, the good news is God's love is unlimited, unearned, and undeserved. And somebody today needs to be reminded that you are loved by God. Though you fail him, his love never fails. It never gives up and it never runs out. Church, you are loved by God. We see the rejected love of God by the people of Israel. But not only do we see the rejected love of God, but we also see the relentless love of God. That's chapter 2. Chapter 2. In the relentless love of God, let me look, look first of all in chapter 2 at God's plea to his unfaithful wife. God's plea to his unfaithful wife. Look at chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. Here it is for your hearing. Plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. That she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. This section, church, opens up with a plea by the father to the children to admonish their mother to stop prostituting. This word for plea actually means to strive, to contend, or, or to bring a legal case. This first part is God suing Israel for their breach of covenant. And in this plea, God is bringing suit against his wife for spiritual adultery. And God says this relationship is essentially broken. Because she has committed adultery against me, she is not my wife. And I am not her husband. She's broken the covenant. And so the text immediately moves from, admon from accusation to admonition, warning. And the warning is this, stop your prostituting. Stop your adultery. Stop sinning. Church, this is simply a call to repent. It's a summons to turn from your promiscuous and sinful ways. And God says, if you refuse to repent, Israel, I'm going to bring shame upon you by stripping you naked. And he said, I'll also bring a drought upon you. Now, this is significant because... Remember, Baal 
was the storm god. And they, they expected from Baal to, bring, to, to give rain that would produce crops. And so in doing this, God accomplishes two things when he says, I'm going to bring a drought upon you. First, he's showing that I'm going to punish you for your failure to repent. But he's also proving that he's the God of creation and that he controls the waters and the rain, not Baal. And God says, if you don't repent, I'll also reject your children. Friends, in this call to repent, we see God's relentless love. That word relentless means continuing, never ending, persistent. God is relentless here in that he is the one who calls Israel to repent for her spiritual adultery. Israel doesn't come to her senses and repent. No, 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 no. God has to offer repentance to her. Church, it is important for us to know that repentance is always a gift from God. It is to be accepted or rejected by the sinner. And when we try to replace God with idols, our responsibility is to repent. And this text here shows us that repentance always involves a return to God by turning from our sinful ways. We see God's plea to his unfaithful wife, which is to repent. But notice here also in chapter 2, God's pursuit of his unfaithful wife. This is in verses 6 through 15 of chapter 2. Look, look with me at verses 6 and 7. Here's how it reads. God says, therefore, I will hedge up her way with thorns, and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her path. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them. And she shall seek them, but shall not find them. God says, I'm going to fence her in. He says, I'm going to block her path with a wall. God says, I'm going to, but but myself, I'm going to create a barrier to keep y'all from sinning. Church, church, the reason I'm getting excited right now is because this may seem like punishment, but it's actually grace. It's what I call God's restraining grace. He keeps me from doing the things that I really want to do. He keeps me from going places that I really want to go. And I'm thankful for God's restraining grace because he kept me from killing myself, from hurting myself, from condemning myself. That's restraining grace. Friends, sometimes it's not when we don't sin, sometimes it's not because we just don't desire to sin. Uh -uh, uh Uh-uh, uh-uh. It's because God just won't let us sin. God puts hindrances in our way. Y'all know we've got this baby now, this baby Lily. Oh, bless Lily's heart. <laughs> Lily is crawling and, and, and stepping now. And so I, we in the family room, our living room upstairs, you know, it's been 10 years since we've uh, had a baby and so now Lily is back, and she's trying to crawl, and she, from my living room, she wants to, like, this is, this is, I've seen this enough. I want to go explore other places. So she tries to crawl her way into the kitchen. Well, the problem with going in the kitchen is, first of all, I ain't going in there. And the other problem is that our kitchen, there's a pantry, 
And so she can go in the pantry and get whatever she wants out of our pantry. And the problem is she just started to get four or five teeth in her mouth. And they're barely coming in. And so if she gets to that pantry, she could get some things in her mouth that would cause her to choke. Thankfully, I just got certified in CP, oh, wait a minute, CPR and first aid. That's it. I am. So if you have any problems, call me. But not only that, not only can she get to the pantry, but there's probably, I also don't want to go in the kitchen because there's probably crumbs on the floor because my kids don't know how to eat over their plate. But then she can also get to the, to, the, to the cabinet underneath the sink where there's chemicals. And, those, and she could inhale those uh, uh, and, 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 and put that in her mouth and swallow it. And that can cr- create all kinds of problems. There's danger in the kitchen. But Lily, all she wants is freedom. She wants freedom to explore. Freedom to do her thing. And so Apple and Lily come back in here, and guess what Lily does? Goes right back to where she's not supposed to go. Girl, did I tell you not to go in there? Get back in here. Pull her back in there. She looks at me. <laughs> and guess what she does? Goes right back. But look, I'm too lazy to keep doing this, Lily, so we're going to do something else. Come on back in here. My wife bought this ottoman. You know what it's called? an ottoman. So what we did was we say, Lily, to keep you from going where you're not supposed to go, we're going to take this ottoman and we're going to block the way into the kitchen. And so now Lily, she starts crawling. She's like, "Uh uh-oh, how am I going to get to where I really want to go even though that's not where I'm supposed to go? Even though I've heard the word no, and I know what no means. And all she can do is just sit there and look. She can't go where she wants to. It seems it may seem like punishment to Lily. I have no idea what goes through Lily's mind, actually. But what it does was we're saying, Lily, we're going to put this ottoman in the way because we don't want you to get to something that could hurt you, that could harm you, or that can kill you. And when God says, I'm going to put a hedge up, that's exactly what he does. He says, I'm going to put this here for you because there's some things that I've got to keep you from because it could kill you. It could hurt you. It could harm you. So this is God's restraining grace here. God graciously prevents and protects us from doing things we want to do. Not only, he says, will I keep you from sinning, but he says, I'm still going to discipline you, though, for your current sins. Look at verse 9, chapter 2, verse 9. He says, therefore, I will take my grain in its time and my wine in its season. And I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover her nakedness. God says, I'm going to take away all of your agricultural produce. He says, I'm going to take away your wool and your linen, which was what they used to make their clothing. God says, I'm going to shame you by exposing your nakedness. Essentially, what God is doing is he's making private sins public. Friends, what we see here is that God is bringing about the restoration of relationship between he and Israel through discipline. God brings about restoration of relationship through discipline. 
God uses a third means to bring about repentance and restoration. This strategy starts in verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Acre a door of hope. And there she will answer as in the days of her youth, as the time she came out of the land of Egypt. God says, what I'm going to do now, though, is I'm going to entice her. I'm going to woo her and speak tenderly to her. God says, I'm going to woo Israel back to me. Notice here, notice who does the pursuing. It is the offended that pursues the offender. It is the innocent that pursues the guilty. It is the worthy that pursues the unworthy. It is the unloved that pursues the unlovely. Holy God pursues sinful men. Friends, this demonstrates the relentless love of God. God passionately pursues his chosen people. He goes to extreme lengths to win back his beloved. He doesn't give up in his efforts to bring his beloved to repentance. Church, we ought to rejoice today. We are saved today because God relentlessly pursued us. God's plea, God's pursuits, but then also God makes a promise to his transformed wife in verses 16 through 23 of chapter 2. God says there, going, there will be a day of renewal, restoration, and reconciliation. He says in that day, the very name of Baal will be removed from your vocabulary. You won't even remember Baal anymore. And, and they will only refer to God by this restored relationship. God, he said, not only, uh, uh, he said, I'll also bring peace. You'll have peace from the animal kingdom and peace from warring with other nations. And he says, now in, in, in this great day, our renewed marriage will be defined by six qualities. Now, I don't believe Hosea is a book about uh, teaching us how to have a healthy marriage, but I think these six qualities translate to a healthy marriage. Here are the six qualities. First, he says our renewed marriage will be defined by permanency. He says, and I will betroth you to me forever. Permanency. Second, he says, our renewed marriage will be defined by righteousness. I'm going to do right by you, and you will do right by me. Three, justice. That's equity and fairness. Four, steadfast love. That, that is unfailing devotion and loyalty. Mercy. That's the compassion to forgive. Faithfulness. You can depend on me and rely on me. God says, this is what our new marriage will look like. Our new marriage will look completely different 
from our old marriage. So we see the rejected love of God, the relentless love of God. Finally, church, let me show you the redemptive love of God. Chapter 3. In chapter 3, the narrative resumes. Gomer, who is Hosea's wife, is deep into her adultery. She is said to be loved by another man. And God tells Hosea to go again and love her. In other words, Hosea, I want you to take Gomer to be your wife just as she is. And the reason Hosea is commanded to do this according to the text, is because the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. In verse 3, Hosea says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Notice again, church, that this act of restoration, renewal, and reconciliation is commissioned and motivated by God and not by human desire. The human heart loves and prefers idols, so it would never desire God on its own. Hosea then has to pay a price to buy Gomer back. Obviously, Gomer is indebted to someone that is not her husband, and therefore her freedom has to be purchased. In church, we too, like Gomer, have incurred a debt because of our sin. We have a debt that has to be paid because of sin. The wages of sin is death. Our problem, though, is that we are unable to pay our own debt. The debt is greater than our ability to pay. We are morally bankrupt. So what does Hosea do? Hosea pays a debt that he does not owe. And when he does, that redeems Gomer from her old master. I'm about to run off from here, y'all. Friends... This is our story. This is our song. God paid a debt that he did not owe when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die our death on the cross. Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. Church, Jesus paid our debt in full. How do I know that? Because when Jesus was on the cross, he declared it is finished. To tell us that. And what that meant was debt paid in full. Church, my debt has been paid by Jesus Christ. And the redemptive love of God sent Jesus to the cross. The redemptive love of God has set us free from the slavery of sin, Satan, and death. The redemptive love of God has reconciled us to our covenant partner. And because of the redemptive love of God, we are under a new covenant now. A covenant where God says, I'll give you a new heart. 
I forgive your iniquity and remember your sins no more. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm forgiven. What then is our response to this redemptive love of God? I'm glad you asked. Look at the text, verse 3. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore. So will I also be to you. Redeemed people live redeemed lives. See, see, we love to talk about forgiveness, and we ought to. We are forgiveness. But here's the paradigm, paradigm that Christ has established. You, you remember that woman who was caught in adultery? <laughs> they, they, they brought her to test Jesus to see what was to be done with her. They really want him to stone her, but Jesus started writing in the ground, and I don't know what he wrote, but whatever he wrote, it ran them off. Because Jesus asked them, he that was out sin, let him cast the first stone. And when they left off, Jesus pronounced to that woman who had been caught in adultery, he said, your sins are forgiven. Watch this. Here it is. Go. In other words, go live. You are free. Go live. You are redeemed. Here it is. Go and sin no more. Redeemed people live redeemed lives. So because we are redeemed, because Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe, we owe to him our entire lives. We surrender it all to him. And because we love him, we Obey him. And so Hosea's word to Gomer is, I've bought you back. Don't you dare go back to that old way of living. Don't you dare go back to that old lifestyle. You're free from that. I will take care of you. I will provide for you. I will love you. You don't have to seek it anywhere else. And God today says to us, redeem people who may even commit spiritual adultery. God says, I paid a price. I redeemed you because I loved you. Now, live a life to my glory. Live a life completely different from the life you used to live. And you can do it because I've redeemed you. You are no longer under the power of your old master. You have been set free. You are no longer a slave to sin. I've bought you back and you are free. And who the son sets free. Y'all can preach it. Come on, worship team. It's free indeed. What a love story. Just as I am, God relentlessly pursued me. And for somebody here today, God wants you to know that he's still pursuing. He wants you. He wants to have a relationship with you. The only way to be in right relationship with God is to respond to his redemptive love. And he showed his love when he sent his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. To those who have already transferred their trust to Christ from idols. There's still a word for us today. God says every time you look elsewhere for satisfaction, fulfillment, provision, he says you're going after the way of the prostitute. And his word to you today is stop it. Turn from it. Repent. Today, by way of response, I want us to stand and simply sing this hymn, Jesus paid it all. Stand to your feet.